0: And we go through our days and live our lives and think we're doing a pretty good job of it all. But as we'll begin to learn today, there's a lot more that needs to happen. Here's Pastor David.
1: We have been studying Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. We have been learning what it looks like to be a disciple, to be a Christ follower, to be imitators of Christ. He's been showing us through the Sermon on the Mount that the world is upside down, that culture is upside down, that being conformed to the world is upside down. It's broken, it's a lie, and he's showing us what it looks like to live right side up. That is what he's doing. He's showing us what it looks like to be his follower, to be in eternity today. Yes, there is a time when all will be made new, but we are already seated in the heavenly places with him. We are already sanctified and justified. We can live that life, although there may be persecution, there may be pain, there may be difficulty, we can live that life of eternity now. And he's showing us how to do it. He's showing us how to live that life, that kingdom life now. We've learned to be poor in spirit, to mourn over our own sin, to be in a state of recognizing who we are without God and who we are with him, what he's done for us to live in that state and be blessed by that. We have learned to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to want it, to desire it. So many things that we desire, so many things that we get caught desiring, most of them or a lot of them are either neutral, meaningless, or even worse. But the thing that should be the desire of our hearts, the thing that we hunger and thirst for, that we want more of, is to be righteousness. It's to be more like him, like Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's our desire. We've learned that sin is in the heart, in the places where only God sees, in the deep, dark places that your neighbor doesn't see and your husband doesn't see or your wife doesn't see or your kids don't see is where sin is. That's where it's born. That's where it's going. But God sees. We've learned that real relationship with the Father is about building real relationship. That means it's about the precious things that we do for him that nobody else knows about. Just like he knows your heart and nobody else knows about it, we're also supposed to do things for him that he knows about and nobody else knows about. When we give, our left hand isn't supposed to know what our right hand is doing. That means for sure our neighbor doesn't know what our right hand is doing, right? We don't make a big show of it. When we pray, we're to go in our room and close our door and pray in secret to the Father who sees in secret and will reward you openly. When we fast, we're not to go to everybody, oh, I'm so hungry. I don't know if you know, but I've been fasting not saying that you know I'm more spiritual than you but I am obviously look how hungry i am wash your face look like you're okay because the fasting isn't about that other person going oh my gosh how spiritual that person is they're fasting it's about what you're doing between you and the lord it's about having a real relationship if everything that you do is about other people seeing, if the only time you pray is when other people are listening, that's not a relationship with God. That's about you. He's saying, we gotta be that person who understands that there, that right now you have a secret relationship. And what I mean by that is it's a personal relationship with God that you're building. As you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're saying, God, make me more like you. You and him in prayer. You and Him in your giving. You and Him in your fasting. You and Him in those silent times. You and Him. That's the relationship we're to be building. And Jesus shows us that here. He's showing us how to invest in the kingdom. We lay up treasures where? In heaven. Why? Because it's the only safe place to lay up treasures. All over this earth. All throughout history, there are those who have been all about treasures and who have laid up treasure for themselves on earth. And here's the one consistent thing about every one of them. They're all dead. And if the only treasure they had was on earth, it went to their snot-nosed kid or whoever, right? Very few of them were buried with it. We're to lay up treasure in heaven because that's the only place where moth does not destroy and rust does not destroy. That's where we're supposed to lay up our treasures. And so daily, every day, we think less about our bank account and more about that account in heaven, more about those eternal rewards, more about building that relationship with God. You don't want to be just acquaintances with Jesus when you get there. Like, oh yeah, we've met before. Yeah, in church sometimes I would think about you when I wasn't playing Angry Birds. You want it to be running to the arms of God. You want that relationship to be so close that when you get to see face to face, it's amazing. That's what he's teaching us to build up. To walk the narrow road, not go on the wide path, to keep asking and seeking And knocking, not to condemn, to love our enemies, not just our friends. Because the lost, they love their friends too. Even they love the people that love them back. But we're to love our enemies. We're not to worry. Not even about what we'll eat or what we'll drink or what we'll wear. We're to trust God that passionately and that fully. All of these things we have studied and they're all about living our life as true followers of Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's what they're about. They're about living right side up because for the world, this is not how they live. This is not the way of the culture. This is not the secular worldly way. We're to constantly seek righteousness to be perfect just as our heavenly father is perfect. That's what we want. That's what we want. And this is the church that we must become. There's a reason why the Lord has led us into studying this. And it wasn't just so that we could have knowledge up here about what he says in the Sermon on the Mount and the history and the things like that. That's all great. But what the Lord is doing is he is using what we've studied to transform us into his likeness. To transform us into real Christians or little Christ followers of Jesus. And that's the church that we have to become. We cannot let the power of something like Christ's Sermon on the Mount bounce off us. Take a few things here, a few things there. We've got to become fully who He wants us to be. All Christ followers, all over the earth, are called to this same standard, every one of them, to the same narrow road, to the same road that leads to life. And we do, when we do this, when we live like this, we have a love that is so passionate and so strong and so visible that it cannot be hidden and people can't hide from it, cannot be denied by those who the Holy Spirit is drawing to himself. He will use us and our right side up, narrow path, hunger and thirst for righteousness living to draw those people that he loves, that are eternal, that are made in his image and likeness, that he's passionate about loving, will draw them to us and we will get the opportunity and the honor and the blessing to be used of God as his body to see them enter the kingdom. Get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and be discipled to do all the things that he's commanded. There is nothing like that blessing. That's a blessing worth living and dying for. And that's who we are as the church. But there are many in the world who don't know God and those are seeing the followers of Christ. And what many of them are seeing in the followers of Christ is not the kingdom life that we've just been talking about for the last 10 minutes. That's not what they're seeing. That's not what they're seeing from the, from the church. I'm just talking about Christ's church, the whole thing, not Acts church specifically, just the church. When unbelievers from the outside are looking into the church, wondering, is there something real there? They are not often seeing the life that I just described. They see people who hate their enemies, which is no different than how they're acting, so why should they be drawn to that? Read your Twitter feed. If you go on Twitter and you look, and I'm talking specifically just look at the people who are naming Christ, who are saying I'm a Christian, and look at the way that they react when someone disagrees with them on politics or on some social issue or whatever. Are they always or generally even showing the love of Christ? Or are they getting their their opinion in? Maybe not always in the nicest way. Are we showing love for our enemies as a church? Are they seeing people who are naming Christ being poor in spirit and mourning over their sin? Or they see people who are puffed up and prideful, boasting and judgmental. You might ask them, what they're seeing when they look at the church. They see people who are naming the name of Christ literally fighting with one another. Christians fighting with other Christians over minor theological issues that have nothing to do with the power of the gospel and people coming into the kingdom, but rather are little things about what Paul might've meant in this little spot. And they'll fight viciously over those things in front of unbelievers. This is what people are seeing in the church. That's not our calling and mission. You know who your brothers and sisters are? You know who they are, your brothers and sisters? You know who the people are that you will spend eternity getting to know and loving more than you love anybody right now? People that you will build a passionate love for over eternity, you know who they are? They're the people sitting in the pews and the chairs this morning at Crossroads and Cassid Church, and Vancouver Church down the street, New Heights, Summit View, Lighthouse Church, and a hundred other churches just in this county. These are the people you're going to spend eternity with. They're your brothers and sisters all over the Northwest, all over Portland, all across the earth. That's who your brothers and sisters are. People in China. There are believers, the church in China is blowing up. There are believers all over the place in China who love Jesus. Mexico, Honduras, the Philippines, Russia, and every other country all over the earth. These are your brothers and sisters. They may worship a little differently than you. Most of them do. They may speak a different language than you. They may look a little different than you. They may think politically a little different than you. In fact, they're people that a lot of us, truth be told, might be a little uncomfortable around because they're so culturally different than us. There are people who might be in a migrant caravan moving their way towards the southern border of the United States. Or they might be in a soup kitchen down the road. There are people who claim the name of Jesus Christ. There are brothers and there are sisters, and we ought to be very careful about how we speak about them and about how we speak to them. We need to have our eyes open to the kingdom. We have a lot of fractures. The Protestant church is, by its nature, a protest. And there was a protest against the Catholic church at the time, and then what happened is there's a million more Protestant reformations against every other Protestant church. And now there are thousands of people who are divided, sometimes over the smallest details of theology. And they're like, okay, we're starting a new church over here. We don't like those guys. What does that look like to the world? They can't even get it right. I've had this said to me, okay, which one of the 30,000 denominations is the one that's right? Unbelievers don't have any patience for that. And our job is to be fishers of men and women, to go to the unbeliever to draw them towards Christ. But we don't. This is the truth. The stats show it, especially in the Western church. We aren't reaching them. The global church, the whole of the church at large, and especially the Western church, we haven't been careful about the way that we act. We've been used to being in a position of relative power, meaning that we had cultural power. People generally were Christians. People generally believed in Jesus or believed in God or kind of believed in the Bible and whatever. And so we were able to have all these denominations and be separated and do all these kinds of things because people generally were buying in. But that has ended. That is over. That has long been over. And we just haven't seen it. And we thought we could keep acting the way we were acting, which we never should have been acting, but it wasn't hurting us as badly. And now that that's long over, we've got the nuns. I don't mean the Catholic ladies in the thing. I mean, people who have no religious affiliation. And that number is going like this. Boom, 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 boom. It's just going up. People are leaving the church, especially young people in droves, because they're sick of it, man. They're tired of the way that we act. And I'm I'm as bad of an offender as anybody. I've had all of these issues. Why would people look into the church and see people acting basically just the same as they act outside the church. The statistics for addiction and pornography use and drunkenness and gossip and backbiting within the church, guess what it looks like? The world. It's like anybody outside the church. We've gotten lazy about being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and our witness is affected by it. Why would they interpret the way we're acting? I don't, I'm not specifically talking to you specifically, okay? I'm talking to the church. We are part of the church. Why would they interpret the way that we're acting as love? Why would they be drawn towards it? And then there's this so-called leaders in Christ church in different places who treat the scripture like it has delete and copy and paste functions. I don't like that. That must have been a cultural thing. Let's take that out and we'll just put in whatever modern belief we want to. They treat the scripture with disdain. They tell people what they want to hear so they can be popular among the world. They call evil good. They call good evil. And they refuse to speak truth to power. They refuse to speak truth to culture. They don't want to confront and all of this in front of a world that is full of dying people, spiritually dead, being conformed to the world day by day, looking for an answer and not finding it when they look at us. These are people that Jesus loved so much that he died for them, just like he did for you and me. If we're going to be his church and see his great commission move forward, through us, we're going to have to start living right side up. There is no other way. We will answer. We will answer if we don't. We're going to have to love each other with a passionate, holy, righteous love that attracts the hearts of those who the Holy Spirit is drawing to the Father. I want them to look at the church, I'm talking about the whole church, the Western church, as something that's coming together, where the love is growing, growing hot, not growing cold. Of course, we can only start right here, right, where we're called. So this has to be us.
0: It really does start with us, not our church, with us each of us really living for Jesus in a way that shouts to the world the truth of his love. And if you have questions or need help with any of this, call us at 360-885-9000 or use email info at axchurchnw.org. Always great to have you with us, and I hope you'll listen to the conclusion of this series in our next episode— here on Contemplate.